if a freshman playwriting student wrote the same metaphor, like the professor might comment, that was a little much. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to No Script, the podcast, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai, and we're really excited to be coming at you again this week. Uh, just so you know, uh, I am traveling, and the room I'm staying in is right by a very active highway, so I'm not going to take out all the cars going by in this track. Um, so just so you know, if, the, if it sounds like a plane is flying by, don't worry, it's just me. <laughs> I listened to a podcast where one of the techs' name is Jacob. And that always strikes me weird sometimes listening. Like, they'll say, Jacob. And then you're like, what, what, what are you talking (laughs) about? Who, me? No. Yep. (laughs) Well, after that tangent, today we're talking about Sarah Rule's very uh, popular, very beloved play, The Clean House. We're excited to do a rule play. Sarah Rule is one of my favorite playwrights. This is not maybe one of my favorite of her plays, but uh, it's one that people really love a lot, one that I've gotten to see at least two pretty good productions of, so I'm excited to jump in on that. This was a play that was, interestingly, it was commissioned by the McCarter Theater Center in New Jersey, but its actual, its full production was at the Yale Repertory Theater. And it went on to be produced in a host of different kind of local repertory theater companies. The Goodman did it. It was a 2005 nominee for the Pulitzer Prize, but did not end up winning that year. Um, Obviously, it's a play that has had some staying power. It's now 13 years later, and people are still doing it. So uh, I I would imagine it's probably going to go on getting productions at that level for a long time. So really popular, really solid play. It'll be good to talk about today. Yeah, it's a, a lot of great dynamic characters within it. Uh, I think I saw this play at a, uh, it was a college theater festival, I think, where I got to see it. Yeah, I think um, we saw the same one then, and then I've seen it one other yeah, time after that. Yeah, at K- K- KCACTF uh, festival. So it's one that, uh, uh, good characters uh, for a wide range of actors, too. Um, we'll kind of give you, I uh, just want to give you a quick synopsis like we do here um, on, on the play in general. Uh, the, the five characters that are most, that, that, that are in the play are uh, Lane, who is a, um, a li- uh, low 50s, young 50s, um, a doctor character. Then there's her sister, Virginia, who is in her late 50s. There is the uh, character, Machilji. Uh, uh, that is the housekeeper for Lane and uh, Lane's husband, Charles. And Charles is also a character that we will meet. And then there is another woman who we will get to and kind of explain a bit more, and her name is Anna. And the the way that the play kind of unfolds is it, it if there is a focus on one or two characters, it's on uh, Lane and Machilji, I think. Um, certainly the, the people that are in in the play all have something to do with Lane. And, um, and, uh, you see this kind of moment in Lane's life unfold as, uh, 
Uh, Machilji is there uh, cleaning, and there's a bit of contention around that, but then uh, her sister comes over, Virginia, and uh, since Machilji doesn't actually enjoy cleaning all that much, Virginia volunteers to clean the house, and uh, they are all there when this moment happens that Lane discovers her husband Charles is having an affair with uh, the other character, Anna. And... That's kind of that's kind of the jump off point for me anyway as to what what all happens That's the big broad strokes for this and uh, that we kind of drop in on these five characters at this moment in their life. And that's interesting because I would definitely agree that as, as the broad sweeping description for the play, you feel like the majority of the sort of plot points of the play revolve around this affair. And yet that if that is indeed the inciting incident for the plot of the play, it does not come until like the scene before the act break <laughs> right or, or yeah. right before the maybe the second scene before the act break yeah um so <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of like establishing scenes um mm-hmm. to then kind of rear up into maybe the the quote-unquote proper the the proper plot the plot proper um yeah which kind of what, is not uncharacteristic of a playwright like Sarah Rule. This is not mm-hmm. a play that is set in the world of realism. It is not mm-hmm. a play that is set in the world of drama. It is uh, a drama in terms of genre, I mean. It is a play that is uh, funny. It is um, sort of weird. It is, you know, maybe not, it probably does not fall into that category of scripts we would call absurdist, but it is absurd. It yeah. is very anti-real in a lot of its structural elements and the way that it uses space. And so to have a, a plot structure that's not especially normal is not totally out of the realm of possibility either. Yeah, kind of my it's it, it's a very it's a very uh character focused play, an individual focused play. Um that that's kind of what I would like to ask you kind of right off the bat is we wind up spending time with all of these characters, but uh you want to kind of maybe talk about who we – is there a character that we identify as the character to watch or is it more fragmented than that? That's an interesting question because I think that the primary char- – that maybe primary is not the right word to use. The character who seems to – who you would maybe naturally call the main character, who begins the play and ends the play and has uh, sort of a lot of driving – choices to be made in the plot is the maid is Machilji. She's mm-hmm. a Brazilian woman. Her parents have died. And so she has moved to the States to find work. I assume, um, she has aspirations of moving to New York to become a comedian. She is trying to find the perfect joke. And in the world of this play, again, not the world of the real, but the world of the absurd, um, in the world of this play, hearing the perfect joke will actually kill you. And that yeah. is how her mother died. Yep. Her father told her mother the perfect joke and her mother died. And so she spends a lot of the play trying to create the perfect joke. And she tells us jokes throughout the play. Interestingly, the play opens with her telling a joke in um, – oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the language – in Portuguese. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. there's no English translations. In fact, Sarah Rule <laughs> didn't even write the joke. It just says she tells us a joke in Portuguese. It's really funny, but you don't understand it. And that's how the play <laughs> right. opens. And then that that scene's over. Like that's the whole scene. Um, and in the both productions <laughs> I've seen, it's a fairly lengthy joke that she tells, which I think makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's yep. also hilarious. 
for whatever reason, that scene is so stinking funny to listen to this woman tell you a joke that is clearly hilarious because she's telling it in a very funny way, but you have no idea what she's saying. And the audience is just rolling on the floor laughing by the time she hits what must be the punchline, um, (laughs) given that I have no idea what the punchline was. Um, Um, And then she has a couple of those kinds of scenes throughout the play. She does a lot of talking to the audience, and then she actually ends the play um, in a similar sort of fashion with sort of some commentary on jokes. Um, So that character has a lot of weight towards her to be able to begin and end the play, to get some lengthy scenes that are just her. And yet... And yet, the, her with her, her relationship with the other characters is almost throwaway. I mean, she's the maid. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really have a ton of effect on the other characters. I mean, sort of the driving tension of the first couple scenes is that she's depressed, and so she is not cleaning. But that plot is, I mean, basically gone as soon as the husband's affair shows up. Right. Because that same scene where they discover the affair, Matilda gets fired from being the maid. And there's some back and forth about it a little bit later in the play, but as a plot point, it's over. Right. So that, that plot point doesn't last through the whole play. She be, She's the maid for Lane, and then later on she becomes the maid for uh, Charles and Anna, who Charles is the husband and Anna the woman he has an affair with. And so she's around, but her relationship is not substantial, and her contribution to the plot isn't incredibly substantial. She's a messenger a little bit between the two families. So... As a choice for a character who has a lot of weight towards her, that is an especially interesting one. Yeah, it seems like it. it the I think you're right on that. The, the characters seem to rotate around her, and the the main through line of the the plot takes place uh, always with her in the room and as her as a part of it. But her own journey is not necessarily. When we go on, and yet we get so many scenes with her. That's kind of the one uh, interesting thing about the structure of this play, um, just on the page, is you have a lot of scenes with characters on stage alone talking. Um, a lot of time, it's a lot of times it's Machilji, but there are other characters that get it too. Uh, Virginia, the sister to Lane, has a has a whole soliloquy all to herself. That's you know multiple pages long. And uh, it's kind of arranged in these vignettes, and uh, you you break the action of a scene to let a character stand and <laughs> deliver a very long joke. It's interesting that you don't have uh, the the back of my script has jokes that she um, suggested. Oh, really? Even yeah. even the first one? Uh, yeah. Yep. It's a big oh, long. Oh, let me yeah. see. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I just didn't look. Let me check yeah. the back of my script. <laughs> but anyway, uh, nevertheless, the. Uh, the those moments uh, break into the action of the play, and we do wind up spending a lot of time with Machilji. She gets a lot of uh, those those aside sorts of scenes, um, and I think I think that is I, I don't I don't know exactly how that winds up treating the plot of the play, but certainly other characters have a lot of weight too. Um, we spend a lot of time in Lane's world. I think I mentioned at the start of it that uh, Lane has the main events of the play happen within Lane's life. Lane and her husband Charles are both doctors, and uh, uh, in their fifties now, they've they've spent quite a bit of time apart from each other. Um, not not physically apart. They still live in the same house, assumedly, but the the shifts that they keep keep them separated. And she has a, a line about how you know when we were younger we would have a system of pagers, uh, you know, two beeps meant good night and and etc. 
Um, and now we don't need the other one to call to uh, to prove that that the other one cares. And it turns out that maybe that wasn't exactly true. (laughs) (laughs) So I just looked. So actually my script does have those joke translations in it too. So Mm -hmm. you could read the joke, although that would not be included in the production of the play. So both times I've seen the production, I did not know the joke. In fact, this is the first time I've ever read the joke. Yeah. Um, So that's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Knowing now the joke. Um, It is pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Even still, I mean, so that's for the actress. Those notes are for the actress, and and the the you know the feeling of the play. You don't understand a jokes in Portuguese or get to know them. Um, to return, yeah. So you know, Lane in Virginia, um, maybe especially Lane would be the you know the sort of easy choice for protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, it is around her life that the plot reels, yeah. um, and she is. Uh, I one of the reasons why I have a little why I have struggled in the in this play as opposed to some of her other plays is that one of the things that Sarah Rule does really well is create such interesting characters. Matilde is a great example of that. I think Charles in this play is a hilariously interesting guy. Anna very interesting. Virginia very interesting. But Lane is just about the most boring person I've ever <laughs> met in my whole life. And both times I've seen her played. I've thought, that's the most boring character ever. <laughs> and that has made it very difficult for me to connect with this play at times. I, uh, mm-hmm. um, her other plays have some really rich main characters, and I, I've not always felt that about Lane. I, I, I understand that I'm probably doing a disservice to Miss Rule, and there is um, a lot probably in Lane to be discovered. It's just hard for me to discover it. Mm-hmm. Um so what, I mean, what do you think about that? What what's in Lane um, that maybe goes unnoticed? Hmm. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that too, and then I'm going to wrap around. But uh, I think what in Lane goes unnoticed? I think she has this this one scene where she completely breaks down with Virginia and says basically what she's dedicated her life to, um, and that is helping other people. And I think in that moment, yes, she is uh, she is having a somewhat of a breakdown and is complaining a lot, but justifiably uh, in the moment. Uh, and I th- and I think she actually has dedicated her life to helping other people. And then she got the floor ripped out from under her. She has and and she's surrounded by people that she perceives as not returning the favor. Both people that she pays <laughs> to get a job done, but also people she perceives her sister. Uh, the, the big one, the big plot point of the first act is Virginia uh, can't wants to clean her house. <laughs> she wants to clean Lane's house and come over and uh, fix it. So um, Lane winds up discovering that Virginia is has been cleaning her house instead of Machilji, who she's been paying to clean the house, and she thinks that it was an invasive uh, invasion of privacy. Um. And so she is surrounded by these people. Charles betrays her. Um, Machilji uh, didn't do the job she paid her to do. Virginia comes over and she thinks she's just there to rifle through her stuff. And she is a person who has spent her whole life trying to help other people. So I think maybe that is a little bit um, of a re- of a redemptive quality in the otherwise kind of... On, on the page, I, I get what you're saying. Kind of that bland is maybe not the right word, but it's close to this character who who uh kind of plays a an everyman in the middle of this 
Yeah, um, I think I think that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is that what seems to be true? Is that she is supposed to be the 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 normal the normal person reacting normally to things that are crazy around her mm-hmm. to the absurdity of life of of her, this situation and she's supposed to be this sort of all of us reacting to things as they happen as we would and saying whoa that's ridiculous well everybody else says that's not really that ridiculous um, like like one one example of that is. Charles and Anna come at the beginning of the second act to say, hey, we're running away together. Sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And their reasoning is that, oh gosh, it's so crazy. Um, They have have decided that they have found their beshirt. And that is from from an old Jewish law, I guess, which is that if you find your beshirt, your soulmate, the person God made you to be with, then you are not only – not only absolved of guilt, but legally required to break off relations with your current spouse and be with your beshirt. And so they come to tell her uh, it's this objective thing. We should just be divorced from the emotion of it. We found this person. I'm sorry it happened, but this is the way it is. Uh, we're not, you know, we're just going with what what God or a higher power has put on us. We there is no reason to be upset. Um, it, we we've we've found it, and I'm sorry. And that's just you know, it's it's not that. It's not that bad of a thing. And Lane says, so basically you've come to tell me that you're having an affair, you're going to quit our marriage, and you don't even have to be guilty about it. (laughs) And she freaks out. But all the other characters in the scene, who's the whole – all the characters in the play are like, oh, you found your beshirt. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it it feels – it is a unique experience to read this and feel like uh, Charles and Anna actually fully believe what they're saying. Like, or 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 they've they've deluded themselves. Right, sure they've sure they've deluded themselves. But regardless, they I think they are being um if not honest, sincere in that moment. Right. At and, the very least, Anna is Jewish. She says. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'm not sure off the top of my head about Charles. Um, but Anna is definitely. She says that. So I you know there's some yeah. there's some there for her like believing in the Jewish traditions. I would guess. Mm-hmm. But she just imagine Lane standing there with this, you know, smash cut to look of disbelief on her face. And it's like, <laughs> you, you what? <laughs> yeah. How? And you're here in the house with her? Uh, <laughs> and yeah. so, and so actually, once the play really moves into its high gear of these scenes about the affair, basically starting with the end of act one and then all of act two, I find Lane to be, um, a lot more relatable and uh, empathetic. The first half of the play is where I really struggle with her because mm-hmm. she she's not a very empathetic character to other characters, um, and there's just not enough craziness around her at those moments for her everyman-ness to really play. It just ends up being sort of bland, her reactions to things, I think. But then in comparison to the crazy, the bland just becomes normal, you know? When everything gets hyped up, even zero is, like, way up there. Right, right. Um, But at the beginning of the play, I just find her a little bit wooden, and a good actress would bring that out, and maybe I just have not quite yet seen the right playing of Lane to really emphasize those points. But part Mm. of it also might just have to do with the structure of the play, which is weighted very heavily towards the second half. It's Um, true. 
And so that's where just a lot of the interest of the play comes. The scenes where Machilji and Virginia talk about cleaning and decide who's going to clean whose house, like I said, that plot ends pretty early on and then it's just sort of gone. So those scenes, I think, are also just not as interesting as a whole. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, too, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, is I think I I fell into the trap the first time I read this play and the second time I watched this play of of trying to look for structure within it. Um, and I, I wonder if uh, Sarah Rule is a very uh, poetic writer. Um, we're, we're very uh, excited image, to do another one of her image plays. Image heavy. Image heavy. And uh, just kind of you experience thing. And, and being married to a poet now, I um, have now <laughs> at my, in my second reading of it, I approached it saying to myself, OK, this is this. Think of it as a poem. Um, <laughs> and, um, and and I wonder if that is more because the, the first act, while there isn't all the plot structure of the first act goes out the window right at act two, uh, as we've said. But you still are left with these really poignant uh, characters that uh, you then see the results of their character in the second act. Machilji is this person looking for the perfect joke. Um, she's a person who has lost both of her parents really recently and has moved to a new country and is trying to get to New York. You find all this out very early on. Um, uh, Virginia is this... Uh, woman who is deeply disappointed in her life so far. She uh, cleans her house meticulously. I think she says she's done cleaning her house by 312 and needs something else to do. Um, and so she she comes, she comes offers Machilji that, that she will come over and clean Lane's house. And you, you meet Lane, who is this devoid character, <laughs> you know, who is who's stuck in this, maybe not stuck, maybe she doesn't perceive she's stuck, but she's certainly in in a pattern of life that she just, by the time she comes home, she is, she's got nothing yeah, she left says, and she, she wants says, it She says, I clean. go to work exhausted and I come home exhausted, like everybody else in this country who has a job. R- yeah. Which is yeah. one of those lines that sort of kind of goes back to my... One of my things with Lane is like that line. I think loses something when you when you put on the end like everybody else who's got a job. You know, it just makes it too general. It's like I like I like the character saying I go to work exhausted and I come home exhausted, creating something about herself. And then there's this need to like put an everyman on her and say just like everybody else does. Mm. And there's some commentary yeah. there. But what's interesting about that too, Jackson, is that those those two characters because I think you're right the first half of the play is is a lot weighted towards Machilji and Virginia but even those two characters almost lose their their plot importance when the second half of the play starts you know it's almost <laughs> as if the first half of the play is a mini play about mm-hmm. Virginia and Machilji um, which then there's the larger play that it's you know it's almost like a play within a play um, or maybe more like a story within a story Um there is a smaller story that you see right away that doesn't have a ton to do with the larger story. There's some elements of it, like Machilji is a character that ends up being sort of a gopher because she ha- because she works at both places. Um, and Virginia and the relationship with Lane is one of the relationships that maybe long term has to get mended through this uh, through this affair and and uh, you know that hardship. So there's some long connections with Lane that have to get resolved over the long course of the play. But the play about who's going to clean Lane's house which is where we get a lot of the you know inner turmoil of Virginia and Machilji right. ends ends as soon as the affair is discovered. Yeah. It kind of struck me that this wasn't it, it 
that the I, I agree those the two acts could basically be two different plays. It, it struck me that this was like a highly naturalistic slice of life with all absurdism all around it. It's like we just dropped in too early to the story <laughs> in the first yeah, one. Yeah, that's and exactly then, right. And <laughs> got in all, got a whole bunch of uh, extra character information and you know found out a lot about these people's lives, but then the act, the actual action um happens much much later and that's kind of the I don't I don't I don't recall a play that has this level of those two styles of theater right on top of each other where we're just dropping in on characters lives and and a, and a nothing you know to start with when you're watching this play you're like what is happening <laughs> why why is this such a bit why are we watching a play about a, a housekeeper who doesn't do the work um, and you begin to figure it out. You begin to figure out why these rich characters are on stage and why it's important for us to watch them. But um, but th- but it's all couched in this very stylized breaking the fourth wall um, and and just taking the set. Ooh, we got to talk about the set. Um, put that in the hat. Um, and and dealing with different stylized theatrical elements to address this very naturalist naturalistic moment yeah and and i also want to say that it it sounds sort of like where i am uh dogging on sarah rule a little bit and on this play which uh i i don't want that to be what i am doing and i am not because i i ultimately think it pays off like most of what sarah rule does it's a little bit weird and it's not normal and um it takes a little bit to get used to but in the long term, it's beautiful and impactful and learning so much about Virginia and Machilji helps them to not be throwaway characters when the broader plot doesn't involve them that much and gives them a longer journey to go on at the end of the play. The, the second half of the play is worth watching the first half of the play to get to and may even be necessary to have that kind of impact on two secondary characters. You know, I mean, Virginia and Machilji are secondary characters. Now, that's not how Sarah Rule has structured the play. She's given Machilji the weight of a primary character um, with second char- secondary character level status and relationship and plot involvement. Um, so there's there's some mismatch there that for a lot of playwrights would not work out. And if I were talking about a different playwright, I would be offering some ways to improve their script by <laughs> working out how to make their primary characters get a little more of the weight. But for Sarah Rule, like a lot of what she does, somehow it works. Right. For whatever reason, it ends up in this really beautiful portrait of sort of this family, quote, you know, this sort of loosely tied family at the right. end of the play. And all of these characters get these beautiful payoffs for this whole long thing. And one of the things that Sarah Rule might say, potentially, if we asked her, why why Machilji and Virginia get so much of the weight in the first half of the play is just they need it. Yeah. Because they don't get a lot of plot, they need more backstory to be involved. And for a player like Sarah Rule, who's imaginative and creative, that's a good enough reason. She doesn't oftentimes feel the need to follow very conventional playwriting things, which might say your primary characters get the first and last scene. You know, she might say Machilji needs it in order for you to get her story. Lane doesn't need it. Lane's story is clear. Mm-hmm. So there's there's some brilliant payoffs for all of that. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, it's it's unusual. And so we want to comment on it and talk about, you know, why it sticks out a little bit from other plays. Yeah. And Machilji and Virginia both do play pivotal roles in the second act. They're, they're still 
pillars around which this rotates, but um, they are they they don't get as much of the lines and the action of it, but they still come in at some really particular moments. Let's talk about the second act in general because we we've most of our synopsis so far has been of the first act, um, and then we pick up the second act with. Um, with Charles and and Anna coming in and saying uh, we're having well, we're, well let, let's pause there. That's not actually how we pick up the second act. The second <laughs> act begins with Charles performing That's a mastectomy right. on yeah. Anna. He's a surgeon. He's a breast surgeon and singing opera while he does it. And that's the stage instruction. He's supposed to sing and perform surgery on her. Um, And then she gets up and sings along with him and then reveals that they're both in ball gowns and a tuxedo and they dance. And that's the first scene. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back from intermission, everybody. (laughs) And both times I've seen that, that scene has been ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. You just sort of laugh and look around and raise Mm. your eyebrows the whole time. (laughs) What happened? It's so so stylish. And, and yeah. interesting and uh, for not being an absurdist play, it uses a lot of absurdisms, uh, uh, practices and traits. Like something like that just completely disassociates you when you come back in. It jars you and gets whatever you were thinking about in the lobby out of your brain entirely, and <laughs> you're right. ready to go yeah. for the rest of the act. Yeah, and it it like I mean it 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 orients you to Charles and Anna because those are characters you haven't met yet. Right. And whose side you're inclined not to be on <laughs> because mm-hmm. the character that you know is Lane and she has indicated that she's pretty devoted to her husband and admires him and thinks that he admires her and uh, the Virginia and Machilji characters discover evidence that Charles is having an affair but don't tell her and then finally she discovers it for herself and she's heartbroken and that's all in the first half of the play and the se- so you're inclined to say Charles is a jerk he ran off with a patient and Anna is a homewrecker and blah 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 and the first scene is this beautiful opera scene where he performs surgery to save the life of the woman he loves and it's poetic and dancing and then you're like oh (laughs) oh (laughs) i guess not i don't know anymore this is the love story (laughs) question mark (laughs) right (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) and so then then at the conclusion of that scene we actually we go back to where the first act ended and the first act ends with charles calling from offstage. He's come to the house with Anna. And that's all you know. He's just come, I guess, to introduce her is all you really know. End right. act one. Act two begins, opera surgery. Then, <laughs> boom, they're in the house. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of, you know, if, if, he, if a different playwright were writing this same story, the plot might go like this. A woman gets cheated on by her surgeon husband and his uh, lover has breast cancer and is dying. And so the woman is asked – the woman who's a talented doctor is asked to care for her husband's dying lover, which is like a pretty good plot. That's an interesting story and moving and it's moving in this play. Sarah Rule, of course, takes that story and makes it just all different kinds of stuff that you wouldn't expect from that story. But that story, like we've been saying, is sort of just act two. Um, the, the core of the play, quote unquote, what a different playwright might write as the whole story is just act two. Mm-hmm. And instead she winds up incorporating all these other, you know, elements and facets in because Machilji, well, I'm not going to get there yet. So, um, what happens in that scene when Charles and Anna, uh, come into the room, they, uh, they come in and Anna is from Argentina 
and uh, is able to talk to Machilji in in uh, some version of Portuguese. And that's something we haven't talked about yet. Is uh, Machilji is is Portuguese and speaks actually in Portuguese. she's Brazilian. Sorry, thank you, Brazilian, uh, and she speaks Portuguese. Um, and throughout the play, there's this uh, kind of wordplay around her name. It's it's uh, those of you who may know, uh, it's spelled kind of like Matilda um, or Matilde or something like that. And um, and so different characters pronounce her names different ways. And uh, the, Anna walks in and pronounces it the way she would pronounce it in Argentina, which I think is oh, Matilde. Matilde, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she corrects her, but this the whole scene where uh, Lane, Virginia, and Charles are kind of going at it at each other. Um, uh, Matilde and Anna are having this side conversation in Portuguese where they're like getting to know each other. Um, and, and subtitles are provided for that for the reader. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't believe in the productions I've seen subtitles were provided for that conversation for, for the audience one, yeah. member. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't I don't think that that was a part of it. There are scenes eventually where that does happen in some of the more pivotal uh, plot moments where if you um, you you would miss something substantial if it wasn't translated. But this is not one of those moments where it's just like these just you should you should know Portuguese if you're going to watch this. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and and structurally what that does is that Lane has treated um, Machilji pretty badly in the first half of the play and has also mispronounced her name a ton of times. And Virginia really butchers her name a lot. Yeah. Um, so Anna comes in in the second half of the play, the homewrecker, the person who her husband is having an affair with, the, the villain, and immediately has uh, empathy and a relationship and a connection with the maid who's been mistreated. And so immediately she is um, – no longer the villain. Instead, she's the one reaching out to a character who's been fairly abused through the mm-hmm. course of the first half of the play. Yep. And then a, a kind of a fight ensues over Machilji, where uh, Anna says, uh, Lane has just fired Machilji because she found out that Virginia was doing the cleaning in the house. And uh, Anna says, oh, you don't work here anymore? Well, you should come and work with us, Charles. We're taking, she's, she's going to come and work with, for, for us now. And then Lane gets into the fight and is like, no, you can't steal her too. You've stolen everything. And uh, what winds up happening is kind of a truce gets formed in which Machilji goes to both houses part time um, and is and is a part of those lives. But she, she winds up going to Charles and Anna's house and we get a, an apple picking scene where they have just come back from an apple orchard and they're they're talking about oh, what is the structure of that scene again they're talking about um the the surplus of apples that they have and it's just this at least to me it was kind of this odd aside that it was just again you're just steeping in character there wasn't well, too much yeah and 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 what the scene really does is, because you have to know what's going on at the same time to understand kind of where that scene is placed so this scene is after lane has has had the confrontation with charles and anna and has thrown them out um, and everybody, uh, except for her sister, decide to go apple picking. Her sister stays back after they've all left and says, Lane, do you want a hot water bottle? You're, you know, you're clearly emotionally distressed. Uh, and, and Lane says, yes, I would. So Lane is lying on her couch in her, this is a good time to talk about the set, in her perfectly white living room. Yeah. White furniture, white walls, white floors, white 
lamps, white everything. Um, and, and there's a call for a balcony to be in the play as well that you can also see so you can have two scenes going at once. So the two scenes are Lane is lying with her hot water bottle in her perfectly white living room. On the balcony, Machilji and Anna are having this conversation about all these apples they've just picked. And, it, you know, it's some of that, like Jackson was talking about poetry, like in your high school poetry class, you learn about like how fruit is associated with life. Uh, and like, you know, berries full to bursting in the spring are like youth and youthful, you know, stuff like that, that kind of sort of surface level poetry that I can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so there, there's some of that in the scene of like Machilji and Anna reveling in these great apples that they've gotten. And they decide that they're just going to try a bite a piece to see which is the best. And then with the rest of the apples, they throw them into the sea. Well, in the staging of the play, called for in the script, so this isn't a directing concept. This is what's in the script. Called for in the script, the sea is Lane's perfectly white living room, which is clean, and which the first half of the play has focused on its cleanliness, remember. The plot yeah. of the first half is who's going to clean the house. So they throw apple after apple down into her living room while Lane is there recovering uh, from her shock. So there's this – that scene exists in juxtaposition of the sort of beautiful fullness of this new life where at the empty coldness of this ruined life as this trash gets thrown around her because there's a difference there's a total difference between an apple you have not yet bitten and an apple someone else has bitten <laughs> there's <laughs> yep. a difference in metaphor there <laughs> yep absolutely <laughs> And that theme kind of persists then. More things get thrown down into the clean house. Um, I think a sweater gets thrown down at uh, All at of Charles' point. clothes. He just right. like, he decides to go swimming. So he just takes off all his clothes except his underwear and throws them over the balcony into her house. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the real kind of uh, stylistic concept-driven stuff is it's not like this stuff, you know, in some in a very stylized production, you might see this where things fall into the set and characters just continue to act around them as if they weren't there. This is not the case. The sweater falls into the stage and Lane goes over and picks it up and interacts with it. Um, so it's, it's, it, this is not just uh, a dirtying of the clean house necessarily. There's, there's more um, character interaction with these staging elements than is logical, certainly. And that, uh, gives you even more poignancy within those moments. At least for me, it did. Um, you imagine this scene going on above of Charles and Anna talking, and meanwhile, Lane is downstairs holding his sweater and kind of reminiscing. That's that's kind of a punch to the gut in that scene. Right. I, I think the... Um the inclusion of objects and the juxtaposition of scenes in that second half of the play is really masterful and really contributes a lot to the emotional impact of the second half. I will say that I think the dirtying of a stark white clean house is a little heavy handed <laughs> and is maybe the other part of this play that I've always kind of struggled with. I feel like if like a freshman playwriting student wrote this, which obviously is not true, Sarah Rule's a genius, but if a freshman playwriting student wrote the same metaphor, like the professor might comment, that was a little much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it just, it doesn't feel like an especially profound metaphor for this stark white house to get dirtied up. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that just that feels like sort of a basic level design choice of how you're going to do it. And that's just what happens. Things yeah. get thrown out. Colors get thrown everywhere. At one point, Virginia, when she's mad at Lane, like smashes a potted plant around, yeah, throws things. Dirt everywhere. And her life is just sort of turned into shatters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the clean house becomes this filthy, dirty, ruined house. And I personally, I don't find that to be an especially profound metaphor in what I think is an otherwise fairly profound play. Mm-hmm. And so I, t- I tend to feel like, especially in the two productions I saw, that the, the design choice that Sarah Rule enforces onto the play of the Stark White House that gets dirtied is maybe, personally, maybe I don't think it's worthy of the play. I don't think it's, mm. it, I don't think it maybe is subtle and profound enough for such a subtle and beautiful play. I'm trying to turn this into a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's I, valiant. I really it's a valiant like effort. most of this play. <laughs> the white set that gets dirtied is a part that I have, I've struggled with a little bit in the di- various ways that I've interacted with this play. And in a class where we talked about this in college, I brought it up and uh, I got a tongue lashing from the people that love this play <laughs> and probably rightly so. <laughs> I'm sure that's, but that that is how I feel about the set choice. How do you feel about it, Jackson? Um, I think I think I do uh, agree on some level. Going taking something from purity, the purity of of the you know pristine condition of this place, and just throwing a bunch of dirt on it might be a little heavy handed. However, um, I, I in the I think that the version that I saw of it did not do it well, and I think that might be where it becomes. A little less of a, um, uh, holy's the wrong word, but a sacred moment when this decides to all wreck itself. Um, because by the end, there's like a tree in there, and there's dirt everywhere, and there's sweaters and apples, and there's people lying on the ground in the middle of this thing. I think I think the opportunity is there for it to to be um, vivid and poignant, um, especially with the stark contrast. But I agree that the writing of it. Just the way, just structurally, when you're reading it and as a designer or as a director looking at it, um, it it leaves the door open for a two-on-the-nose sort of production, uh, a two-on-the-nose production value to come through if if it's not a really um, careful designer. If that makes sense. I actually totally agree with that. And I, I have felt that I that a really good production could redeem that choice for me by treating it in creative and subtle ways. Um, those are not the productions I've seen. I've actually liked both the productions I've seen, but I've but that part of it I've never felt like was treated very creatively or very subtly. Um, which is what I think this play calls for is a creative and subtle use of set design and juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. S- speaking of subtlety, just to kind of transition to another uh, other element that kind of rotates around this play. Um, Charles and Anna are played by the same character or are told in the script are played by the same actors as the actors who play the characters of Machilji's father and mother. During the course of some of Machilji's monologues, she uh, recalls her father and mother, who she remembers with great fondness. Uh, both of them were jokers, and they laughed, and they danced, and they fought, and they lived fully. And uh, she actually describes her father telling a joke to her mother that was so funny that she died laughing, and doctors couldn't even figure it out figure out how it happened. It's it's a very almost mythic telling of this story um, that is then then right away juxtaposed with and then my father shot himself um, 
because he couldn't right. live and without her. And you think her. like the first time you read her saying that or you see her saying that she, my mother died laughing because of a joke, you think like there's some exaggeration or yeah. some maybe falsity in that story or misremembering or a choice to remember it a certain way. But then you learn that in this crazy non-realistic world of the play, in fact, I believe the setting of the play is supposed to be like a uh, a mythological Connecticut or something like that mm-hmm. is Sarah Rule's description of the setting. Um, and so um, you think that maybe her mother dying because of a joke is not – really true and then you learn of the course of play that it definitely is true and it factors very heavily into where the play goes <laughs> yep yeah um but what what do you think the importance is the the weight that uh i mean in the stage direction she or in the the casting direction she says that the, that anna and charles must play those two the the father yeah. and mother um what she why do you not think that weight that is given yeah, and she's not up to the casting director to do that. So why do you think that, that that level of weight is added to that casting description? Here's why I think it is. And this borders on potentially a, a larger conversation that we maybe really have time for. Um, I think it is because Machilji is the main character and uh, that she's the protagonist, um, which is not what is expected of this play. Again, we've talked about that. Lane should be the out-and-out, no-problem, wash-your-hands-of-it-walk-away protagonist. It's her story. Yeah. But is it really? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the question for me. Because giving Machilji the bookends of the play, that's a big sign. And also giving her the central um, – the sort of center of the end of the plot. What happens at the end is because of Machilji. And it it leads her on to some sort of new discoveries about herself in the world, which isn't necessarily true of Lane and Charles. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about the parents being played by Charles and Anna. Um, Charles and Anna – well, Machilji's parents, like Jackson have said, live life to the fullest. They were so in love. They laughed all the time. Well, that is also then true of Charles and Anna in the second half of the play and was not true, we think, of Charles and Lane's marriage. When Charles meets Anna, his life is sort of fully fulfilled now and he lives this life full of laughter and love and uh, sweet apples that they go apple picking for and swimming in the ocean and he goes out on a quest to cut down a tree to save his dying – so he, he lives this full – beautiful life, the kind of life that Machilji describes her parents having lived. So there's some symmetry there. And then, of course, there's like – there's the deadly clear symmetry of the play, which is on – or uh, Machilji's mother died, like Jackson said, because of a joke. The center of the end of the play is that Anna, who's dying of breast cancer um, – or some form of cancer. I guess we don't know when it comes back if it's still breast cancer. But she had breast cancer and the cancer has come back. Um, but anyway, Anna the Lane forgives her and decides that she can move in so she can care for her where Charles is out doing some crazy stuff. Um, and Anna comes to live there. And while she's there, Anna says to Machilji, you told me before that your mother died from hearing the perfect joke. I'd like you to kill me with a joke. Yeah. And that is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next day, Machilji – and there's this – it's this great setup of it too where she – Anna just decides, OK, I want to die standing up. And so Lane and Virginia help her to standing. Um, and then and then Anna says, you two better leave. I don't want yeah. you to die early. <laughs> and they take it seriously. Like, they yeah, leave. like it's a poison or something. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, right. That's, that's – got it. Yeah. And then Machilji whispers the – 
the perfect joke that she's invented to Anna on Anna dies from yeah. the perfect joke. So there's this beautiful, deadly perfect symmetry too of Matilde's mother, who's played by Anna in the first half of the play, dies laughing, uh, dies because of a joke, because of her father. Matilde then kills her, 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 now her friend, Anna, with a joke who played her mother in the first act. So this probably is ultimately my solution to my dilemma of the play, which, which is what we've been discussing, is how oddly weighted the play is. Um, what feels like the bulk of the plot happens in the second half um, or the first half seems, seems like sort of empty scenes between Matilji and Virginia. Um, but that's really only if you think of the core of the plot being um, Lane and her husband and, and that relationship. If instead you consider the core of the plot Matilji's quest to recover from the death of her parents, then that t- all ties in. Because what happens in the first half of the play is that she's relieved of her cleaning duties. And she discovers some things about her boss that uh, sort of revive her from her state of depression. She, we discover that she's in depression because she doesn't like to clean. She wants to tell jokes instead. So that first half of the play then has a totally new kind of weight in that character's arc. Um, so if you're, if you're willing to, and if I were to ever direct this play, which I would love to, um, if – if you were to direct this play and you were willing to take Matilde's character arc and make it the story of the play and everything else is just key points that lend itself to the story, just sort of the path that she walks on, then some of that symmetry becomes important. Some of that first half of the play gains the sort of weight it really should have. Um, and the sort of odd parts of the play about these jokes and why is Matilde there at all really and the perfect joke killing someone – all of it gets a sort of um, a, a new importance that makes, I think, the real play click in. I, th- I think I agree that Machilji is certainly the 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 strong. She's the, in my my watching of the play. She is the one that has my attention the whole play. But it, whenever you know there there's some moments of chaos going on on the stage and. You you wonder where to look occasionally. I'm always I always wound up looking at Machilji and following her line of action, no matter where in the in the play she was. I think I I absolutely agree that her journey from loss and and recovering from loss and uh, f- figuring out through this this uh, brief snippet that we see of her life how to how to progress through that in the finding of the perfect joke is a huge theme all the characters are going through some sort of loss um, Lane is obviously uh, lost her uh, her husband her relationship uh, Charles by the end of the play you get the feeling he might be in some sort of midlife crisis as well but um <laughs> yeah but she certainly loses anna at the end of the play anna is dealing with the loss of her own life virginia is dealing with the loss of her ability to live the life that she thinks needs to be or that she thinks she ought to have lived and so you have machilji walking through for other people's loss as well as dealing with her own loss and in the end I think I think that is that would that would be a great thing to strive strive for as a concept for this is seeing that moment at the end as a as a redemption or fulfillment 
Right. And, and what does it redeem? It redeems the loss. It's not just that yeah. um, it's not just that Machilji kills somebody with a joke, but that her mother died the same way. And so the idea of the perfect joke was now filled with grief because that's how her parents died. Right. And so what happens at the, you know, quote unquote climax of the play? It's a definitely a feminist structure. So whether there's a real climax or not, that's a different question. But, you know, quote unquote, the central climax, the end play where Anna dies, what happens? What is redeemed there? The perfect joke is redeemed. Yes, it kills someone, but it kills someone in a beautiful way. It kills someone for the purpose of avoiding suffering. It kills someone who has asked to um, not die coughing and full of medication and 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 in, in so much pain. So the redemption that happens at the end of the play is not really of Lane. She's not, I, I don't really see her and Charles' relationship as especially redeemed. I don't know that Lane does for she chooses to forgive Anna, but that's earlier in the play. Really, the redemption of Lane has already occurred. She's already gone from someone who has suffered and lost her husband to someone who is now caring for a sick patient who happens to be her husband's lover. That, you know, that that character arc really, as far as I'm concerned, as soon as she invites Anna into her home, Lane's character arc is sort of over. Um, mm-hmm. she, uh, she sort of accomplished her sweep of the story. But when the crucial moment comes and a character dies, right? That's the classic end of a place. Like somebody dies. What yep. <laughs> what has been redeemed is Machilji's perfect joke. I think that you're absolutely right. The I think other characters do go on a redemptive journey. A redemptive journey. I think they all do. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is actually you know five people's stories all floating around each other and. What winds up happening is we just spend the most time watching Machilji's life out well, of and out of her those five. Redempt, redemptive story. I think is the only one that goes from beginning to end. Yeah, yep. other characters' stories are smaller arcs. We right? pick Virginia's them up halfway story through. And... Is really mostly the first sweep. Um, she she is involved in the second half, but her her there's I don't know that there's a lot of change in her character through the second half. Maybe. Somebody smarter than me would tell me that that's stupid. But that's sort of how I see it. Um, Lanes, like I said, mostly sort of occupies the the second third or the last third, I mean, of the play is where her character goes through some changes. We don't even meet Charles till the second half of the play or Anna. Um, but who is there from beginning to end from a journey of grief at her parents' death and the loss of the perfect joke to – I think her final line is something about how she's rediscovered that heaven must be just full of people telling each other jokes yeah, in different yeah. languages. I mean that is a full breadth of a journey with an interesting, unique character. And the way to get out of my cynicism of the play – is to stop trying to make Lane the center of it. Um, and that's hard to do because that's where it feels like the plot is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been my problem every time I've seen the play. And that's why I and that's why I don't think that my issues with the play are a critique of Sarah Rule's writing of it. I think it's amazing. My problems are my own, which is that I want to identify with the upper middle class white woman. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know? There, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's my story. I, uh. I it's not it's not immediately my thought to identify with the Brazilian immigrant whose parents have died who wants to come up with the perfect joke. Like that's not immediately my uh, that's not immediately where I would leap to as an identifiable character in the play. But in order for the play to really function as it should, you have to make that leap. 
And so this last time, so I, I, I tried to read the plays twice before we do this podcast. And the second time that I read it, I said to myself, this time I'm going to try to experience the play as if the story is of Machilji's. And my mm, problems mm-hmm. went away like that. Yeah. I mean, suddenly the play had a whole new beauty of the way that the structures and the characters interweave that I have felt was lacking a little bit because I love Rule so much and I love her plays. And this one I've always felt like was just not quite in it for me until I just forced my brain to experience Machilji's story as the story of the play. Yeah. Hmm. That's that. That's so true. Well, I think, uh, I think there's there's so many more themes that I wanted to talk about as well. I think we've covered these ones that we want to cover, though, and we're getting towards the end of our time. That there's so much more uh, rich stuff in this play. There's the sister relationship that we didn't talk about at all. There's we well, left- and there's I think one thing that we did not say out loud through the whole podcast is that Anna is like 68 or yeah. 67, mm-hmm. so it, it, she's not like a young woman. Um, and that that does come up throughout the play that Charles hasn't fallen in love with like a woman younger than his wife who happens, you know, to be like to right, think right. of. I mean, like Crafters, he falls in love with a woman who's like 15 or 20 years older than him. And so that is um, that's an interesting part of that character, which we maybe didn't bring up. And maybe if you haven't read the play before hearing this, put some of what we said in a different yeah. context. Yeah, this this play in general, the, uh, the you know, synopsis and context, I'm guessing, didn't help you all out too much if you didn't read it. So definitely uh, take the chance if you can to either pick it up at the library, if you can do an interlibrary loan or grab it online somewhere and read it. Or if you can go see it somewhere, do that too. But this conversation will make a lot more sense. And we'd love to hear your thoughts about it after you have uh, interacted with it yourself. Um, what themes we might have missed what about the sister relationships um that we didn't have time to talk about was important to you or any any other of the scenes what what you thought your favorite joke was we'd love to get to talk to you um so if you want to hit us up on facebook instagram twitter email at noscriptpodcasts at gmail.com we would love to continue this conversation with you and if you really want to read some pretty hilarious and interesting stage directions, you should also pick up this play. We <laughs> yeah. did not talk about that today, like which that is all. a failure of ours. Oh, uh, man. But man, the stage directions in this play are worth everything else. You could take, you could read the stage directions alone Absolutely. as their own interest. The way she describes what characters are supposed to do, uh, it's like poetry, like Jackson started this podcast with. If you liked our conversation, you like our podcast, we'd love for you to share it. Um, tell other people about it so that, uh, you know, they can hear it too and be part of the conversation we are loving what we've been doing i hope you all have been loving it too and if you have been please tell some other people about it yes indeed we are on itunes we're on podbean the app uh we are on we're we're going through the process of getting on spotify right now so hopefully by the time you're listening to this we're on spotify as well and maybe even google play we're trying to get on as many platforms as possible for you all and if you want to leave a review for us that's super helpful for us just to get seen by more people in general and broaden the scope of this conversation so thank you all for interacting on those ways too I think that that's the end of our conversation for today. This is No Script, the podcast. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I'm Jackson Nikolai, and we'll see you all next week. Adios. Adios.